Thanks, Karis and Carly. I never call those girls by their name. I just call them three and four. Uh, when you get as many kids as TJ has, I don't even try to keep up with their names anymore. I just, I remembered Kenley because she was one of mine in the student ministry from all the way. Kenley and Karis or Cammy both, but uh, the rest of them are just all three numbers. So it's files three, files four, whichever one they are. I don't even know which one's which, but they're always together. So I, I get away with it like that. So uh, listen, if you're with us, this is our last week in our uh, uh, our little short series I'm calling The Return. Uh, we've been talking about how in our life uh, there's, there's times where we feel like we have wandered and we've strayed off of what God really wants for us. And, uh, and, and whether you've experienced that right now or maybe you've experienced that in the past uh, or if you've never experienced that, then at some point you probably will uh, in the future. And, and this, uh, this coming back is really our return back to him about how we kind of wonder spiritually and emotionally and relationally from God and maybe his best for us. Um, we believe that God has a perfect will for our life and, and a lot of times we are in that and a lot of times we miss that. And so how do we return? How do we come back? How do we get back to what we're supposed to do? Well, first week we talked about a faith return. Last week we talked about a focused return and then this week we're gonna wrap it up with the idea of a full return back to him. And I know you're probably thinking, Surely we've already talked about a full return. Like that's, that's kind of the whole point of this. And even last week I gave you the quote uh, from a commentary that I read talking about how we are supposed to turn our feet and our face back to God and, and not go just halfway, but all the way. Remember, wanting nothing. And I, I love that quote uh, from that commentary because it's so true. And like on one hand of it, yes, that's exactly what we're supposed to do. A full return is all the way, 100% uh, going back to what God wants us to be. So today should be very easy. And on that hand, it is very easy, right? But I believe too many of us feel like God's working in our life and, and we begin to be obedient to him and trust him and kind of surrender to some things. And then we hit this point and we're like, oh, that's enough, right? I've, I've been changed enough or I've been challenged enough and I, I don't want to go any further than where I am right now. I, I could probably say it a little bit better like this. You've got enough, you've got as much Jesus as you want. You've had enough change as you want and you just stop and you plateau and you, and you kind of run back to what's comfortable or maybe what you're familiar with and the return stops, when we kind of hit this breaking point of enough is enough and I don't want to go any further. And hear me, this doesn't have anything to do with what I'm preaching about this morning, but it's in my notes and it's so good, I'm going to read it. Jesus didn't die on the cross to make you feel better about yourself. He didn't die on the cross so you could give him this half-hearted devotion or, or compare your progress to the sins of others. Jesus died so that we could have this fully devoted life to him. And so, yeah, a return makes sense. A full return is exactly what we're supposed to do today. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 and 21 says it like this. I have been crucified with Christ, and so now I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Paul's telling the church and the churches in Galatia saying, listen, guys, the whole thing, the whole life is wrapped up in who he is. Everything I do is in him. And the life that I live is in his life. The life that I live, I died 
when he died. And because he lives, now I live. This is all about, if you went through knowing faith, we talked about this. This is the doctrine of union with Christ, right? We are in him and he is in us. And so everything that we do should be fully devoted to him. So what I want to do today is I want to bring it back. A full return back. Instead of thinking like, okay, I'm going to come all the way back to him. What I want us to think about is I want to come back to the beginning. I want to go back to the beginning. Some of y'all are old enough to remember. Um, remember, guys, I'll pick on you. Remember, uh, remember having to call your girlfriend's home phone and the, and the anxiousness and the nervousness that kind of brought about that landline phone call. We had, when I was living in, uh, in Bryant, we had one of those uh, really cool early 90s clear see-through phones. Y'all remember those that hung on your wall and had a cord that would reach all the way around your house if you wanted it to? You could go anywhere and still talk to it, but you were still tied to this cord. And so when you called your girlfriend, you're kind of playing roulette. You didn't know who you were going to get. Hopefully she answered the phone. At worst case scenario, her mom answered the phone and it was nuclear meltdown if dad answered the phone, right? Because you were just like, oh, sir, um, can I please, I'm mean, sorry, may I please speak with your daughter, your honor? <laughs> and he just didn't know what to say. It was just kind of weird, like, oh my goodness, what am I going to, and you finally get her on the phone and you're just like, hey, girl. And you just talk about nothing for hours and you get sweaty palms and you get that feeling in your, in your stomach and you get all excited and then, and then you fast forward and now you've been married for, I don't know, 15, 20, 30, 40 years and, and it's not like that anymore. It's, you're passing information, right? I need you home. Your kid just threw up in my purse. The dog just pooped on the floor and I'm pretty sure your youngest just got in a fist fight with a Sunday school teacher. I need you home, Right? We, we just pass information, and that's even if you call each other. Most of the time, we just text, right? Information, information, send. Reply, reply, send. Heart emoji, romantic, right? Because that's how we communicate with each other now. And, 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 the, and the butterflies that you felt at the beginning aren't necessarily there anymore. You still love her, and you still love him just as much as you did, hopefully more, than you did back when you were talking when you were in junior high. But it's just not like it was at the beginning. And I think, I think for some of us, for most of us, that's, that's kind of our relationship with Christ. Right? We know that it's foundationally important and we are still fully devoted to him and we love him and we want what he wants from our life, but it just doesn't feel like it did maybe in the beginning. Or, or it doesn't feel like it did when we were at that retreat or at that camp. Or it doesn't feel like it did when you know God was really hardcore, active working in our life. Now we're just kind of living life and it doesn't feel the same. And so what I want us to do today is I want us to go back to those beginning feelings. I want us to go back to where we feel like God's working and moving and active and real, even if, it, even if it's not a, a, a daily, oh my gosh, God's doing something incredible. Man, I'm alive. That's incredible. That's enough. I want to go back to those beginning feelings and that return I think is important for us as we wrap this up so let's go to Isaiah chapter 12 you've got your Bible Old Testament book of Isaiah from this point forward in the beginning parts of Isaiah he's really kind of calling uh, the the need for repentance and the return for Jerusalem to get back to doing what they're supposed to do he's warning of the impending uh, uh, 
judgment and, and the attack of Assyria, right? And, and all, all the same time, he's also giving this hope of the Messiah. There's some really incredible verses in the first 10, 12 verses or chapters of Isaiah. And so uh, he's kind of he's warning them. He's calling them to something deeper. And at the same time, he's giving them hope, which is what God does throughout the whole entire Old Testament. It's pretty incredible. Uh, and then he brings us to this point, I believe, of return. Basically saying, in that day... Basically, in the day that I call all things under my order, when I bring it all back together, he says this in verse one, in that day, you will say, I praise you, O Lord. Although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away and you have comforted me. I love this because this opening verse of this short little chapter tells us and acknowledges that we are benefiting from being treated unfairly. That the unfair treatment of God in our life is that we get to benefit from relationship with him. Fair, fair would be that God is punishing us for our sin. That's what we deserve, right? James chapter two, or James chapter one, verse 14 says this. Each one is tempted while by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin when it's full grown gives birth to death. And so James tells us the formula, right? Fair order is desire, enticement, temptation, sin, death. That's what we deserve. Paul says the same thing in the, in the book to, of Romans. It says, Romans 3.23, for all is sin and falling short of God's glory. Romans 6.23, the penalty of sin is death. We've all sinned and the penalty of that sin is death. That's what we deserve. That's fair. That's what should happen. But see, God's grace counteracts fairness. God's grace comes in, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, because of his great love for us. God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. You see God's mercy made us alive when we were supposed to be dead. His mercy made us alive and it's by grace you have been saved. By grace you have been treated unfairly. God, who was angry with us, is now comforting us. The Hebrew words for those two are really interesting. I really like it. Angry is enough. It means to be angry or displeased or to breathe hard. Been there, done that, right? You got kids who've done something that you know that they know that they're not supposed to do, right? You know that they know they're not supposed to do that. And our immediate reaction is we start breathing hard, right? I'm, I'm, I'm going to beat him. I'm just going to beat him, right? And we just start thinking. And we start huffing and puffing and get a little angry. This is the same word. God, God was angry with us. He was breathing hard. But now he's comforted us. That's a Hebrew word, nacham. It means to console, comfort, or to ease. I like that. He's eased up. It's like he was breathing hard and then he took a deep breath. It was so frustrating and anger-filled and rightfully, righteously anger with us. And then he took a deep breath. He says, I love them, even though they've turned their back on me. I love them. And so I'm going to comfort 
them. Over and over in the New Testament, when you see Jesus interact with people, one of the very first descriptive words that he uses is that he had compassion on them. He saw people in their deep need for him. And yeah, they were messing up and they were living a life they weren't supposed to be doing and they were doing all kinds of things wrong. He wasn't angry with them. He felt compassion for them. Don't ever allow your current state of salvation to let you forget what you actually deserve. We deserve death. Isaiah chapter 12 verse 2 says this, Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. I love that. Who's the salvation? God is. He has become my salvation. See, we get this mixed up. I think too often we think that God just provides salvation. But scripture says that he is salvation. Faith is not what God can do for you that saves you. Faith in God is what saves you. It's not what God can do, it's in who he is. And don't get this twisted because there's, there's scripture that, that can make this real complicated and I don't want it to be. James chapter two, verse nine, of our, I know I've quoted James a couple of times today. James two, nine says, you believe that there is one God good, even the demons believe that and shudder, right? We know that verse. This is not just believing that there is a God, it's believing in that God that provides salvation for us. I said it like this in Knowing Faith, and I, I, I like it, so I put it back in these notes. Faith is the positive act of salvation which involves laying upon the promises and work of Christ. The promises and work of Christ. It's believing that and believing in. Believing that Jesus died for us and believing in Jesus who died for us. That's what faith is. It's assenting to facts and believing and trusting in the person. See, we try to provide salvation for ourselves. Right? We're going to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We're going to work hard. We're going to be good enough. We're going to make sure our good decisions outweigh our bad decisions. And maybe if I serve enough or if I give enough or if I pray enough, and I read this already at the beginning of service, Galatians chapter two, verse 21, if righteousness could be accomplished with the law, then Christ died for nothing. If we could earn our way there, then he didn't have to die. We cannot provide salvation on our own. Apart from him, there is no salvation. He is, God is salvation. And it's because of that we can trust in him. Chapter, or chapter 12, verse 2 says, I will trust and not be afraid. I will trust and not be afraid. Why is that so hard? Why is that so hard for us? I mean, we know verses like Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future, Right? Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, my thoughts are not your thoughts, declares the Lord. Just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than yours. Romans eleven thirty three. Oh, the depths and the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgment, how unfathomable his ways. We understand that God's bigger than us. But sometimes we just have a hard time trusting him. And for some wild reason, we think that we can't. 
that our problems are somehow too big for God to handle, that, that our situation is too unique. He's never seen anything like this before. I don't know if I can trust him. I remember as a teenager, uh, Bryant, I went to Bryant High School. Bryant High School um, had a ropes course. Uh, my mom actually was an instructor through that, and so I got to go do the ropes course whenever I wanted to. She, she was down there doing it, and so uh, I, I would go, and we had groups from our church that would go do that, and uh, through some programs to the school, there was all trust-building exercises and stuff like that. Um, they started off low, right? They'd have a log on the ground and have everybody line up, you know, 15 people line up on this log and, and you'd have to reverse the order. And so whoever was on this end had to get to that end and, and vice versa until everybody was switched without somebody falling off. Somebody falls off, you got to start all over again. It was just a team building type things. And then it would gradually go to the higher elements. You know, they had like a little obstacle course and you know, wires that you walked across and held onto ropes and all that kind of stuff. Lots of fun. If you like heights, it, it was lots of fun. Uh, the whole time you were harnessed in, right? You had this little harness you were wearing and the rope was clipped in and carabinered in right in front of you. So you could feel the tension on the rope. You knew it was there. You could see it. It was kind of a safe environment. You just knew that. Well, after all these different little exercises, it all culminated at the very end with the pole. And I don't remember what they called it. I just called it the pole. It was a 30-foot tall um, electrical pole that was cut off at the top. Uh, you climbed a ladder to get to a certain point that had pegs like a lineman would climb. And you climb these little pegs to the top and there's nothing to hold on to, but your responsibility is to stand on top of the pole. Uh, and out in front of you, if you were able to get up on it, out in front of you, about six to eight feet was a, was a trapeze bar. Now the pole was intentionally set in the ground wobbly. So as you got higher, the more it moved around. The bar was intentionally far out in front of you. If, if, you could, if you had the long arms like me, most of the time you could get it. Most people, some people could not. If you even got the nerve to jump because not only was the pole intentionally wobbly and the bar intentionally far out in front of you, your rope was intentionally hooked behind you. So you couldn't see it. And it was intentionally loose. You couldn't feel it. Now, if you like heights and that kind of stuff doesn't bother you and, and you just want to get up there and jump off, you could do that. And if you hit the bar or not, who cares? It was a lot of fun. You'd drop maybe two feet until you felt the tension on the rope and you were safe. But I've seen grown men and young, tough boys be so scared to move because the rope that they had trusted all day long that they had leaned back on and even fallen off of stuff intentionally on because they could see it and they knew they could hold on to it. It was tangible. It was real. They knew it was there. They couldn't see anymore. And they, didn't, they didn't know if they could trust it or not. And I think that's exactly what happens in our spiritual life. God works and moves and and changes and challenges us. And we're like, man, he is right there. I can trust him. He's, he's seeing me through the situation. Or maybe there's something hard in your life. And you're just really leaning into what God has for you. But then, then life kind of gets to a coasting moment. Where you're just kind of living life. And there's not a whole lot that's happening. And you're just, you're just kind of surviving through. And it's like that rope gets pulled back to the backside of you. Just to see if you're going to continue to trust. 
And then when, when you can't see it and you can't feel it, you begin to what question whether or not you can trust it. Knowing that it's there, knowing that it's always been there, knowing that you've leaned on it time and time and time again, you know you can trust it. Right now, you just can't see it. Right now, you just can't feel it. You know, the phrase, trust in the Lord, is used in Scripture 15 different times, and it's all in the Old Testament. Now, the New Testament, Jesus says things like, trust in God, trust also in me, right? He says phrases like that. But the phrase, word-for-word phrase, trust in the Lord, is exclusively used in the Old Testament. Over and over again, Old Testament prophets, Old Testament psalmists, and through the law even with Moses, are trying to remind God's people to trust in something they could not see. Trust in something they knew was there, but maybe couldn't tangibly feel or see. In our passage this morning, Isaiah chapter 12 He's telling us God is our salvation. Trust in that. God is our salvation. Trust, just trusting. Your current circumstance does not diminish who God is. Just because things seem out of control or or maybe, maybe even distant from where you, doesn't change who God is. You can trust him. Just like you did at the very beginning, you can right now. Just like you did when it was really hard, you can when it's really easy. Just like it did when you thought you were at the end of your rope. Now that you've got a little slack, you can still trust him. Your current situation and circumstance does not diminish who God is. It's also interesting to note in the second half of that verse 2, where it says, The Lord, the Lord is my strength and my song. This, this phrasing is used only twice in Scripture. Here and again in Isaiah chapter 26, verse 4, he says, Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord, the Lord is the rock eternal. That repeated phrase, the Lord, the Lord, is in Hebrew, Yah Yahovah, Yah Yahovah, where Yah is an, it's an abbreviation for Yahweh. So he's saying Yahweh, Jehovah, is our strength and my song. Yahweh, Jehovah, it's like, it's, it's an overly formal name for God. Almost, almost like repetitive, like it's God, God. You know what I'm saying? Like, hey, listen, we, we talk about this, but like God, 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 he's our strength in our song. That's exactly what Isaiah is doing here. It's incredible. Nobody else says it like this, and I love the way he does. Because it's almost like we read it and we go, that's kind of repetitive, doesn't make sense. But when you say it like that, And you go, okay, God, 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 God. He's our strength and our song. You know him. Yahweh, Jehovah, you know him, the Lord. He's our strength. Because of who he is, you have strength to trust him. Because of who he is, you praise him in song. Isn't that incredible? God, God, like the God, God, you get to trust and you get to praise And you can just rely on him. He is our strength and our song. And then verse three. 
says, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Because of his grace, because of his mercy, because of who he is, because we can trust in him, because he is our salvation, you can draw on that with joy. Isn't that great? But honestly, this is the part that wrecked me. Over the last couple of weeks as I read this, I probably read Isaiah 12 50 different times over the last two weeks. And, and at first glance, you go, well, that doesn't seem like it's that hard. This is not even in quotation marks. This is kind of Isaiah's, it's a, it's a clause here. With joy you will draw well, water from the wells of salvation. It's not in quotations because it's not something that you say, it's something that you do. It's not something that you say, it's an attitude you should have. If you're saved, then you're drawing on the well of salvation. But when I look around and I see Christ followers today, I don't see joy. The very definition of joy is gladness, exultation, and rejoicing. Isaiah is telling us that we should be doing these things in response to our salvation. Instead, what we see more often than not is apathy, blandness, and a taking for granted of the salvation that we've been giving. After King David had been held accountable for the sin that he had committed against Bathsheba and Uriah, TJ read this verse this morning, Psalm 51, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, wash away my inequity and cleanse me from my sin and create a pure heart in me. And then he says, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Bring me back to the beginning and remind me what it feels like to be saved again because I can't lose that in the middle of my sin. I can't lose that in the middle of my life living. I need to be filled with joy about the salvation that I have. Bring me back to that. Listen, we're pushing towards Easter and we're thought about what all God has done for us and provided salvation for us and we're reminded of the flogging and the mockery that Jesus has endured. We're reminded of the praetorium and the soldiers who beat him over and over again. We're reminded of the cross and the agony of the cross and we celebrate the empty tomb and we think about all that Jesus did for us. We should be filled with joy. We should be excited about the salvation that we have. Instead, we just sit around and just talk about it. We read Isaiah 53, verse 5. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Chastisement that brought us peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Did you hear the words? That he received the piercing, the crushing, the punishment, and the wounds, and we received the peace and the healing. And we walked around for too long uh, and, and being bored of our salvation, being too apathetic, not wanting to risk being charismatic. And we've lost the joy of what it means to be saved. Listen, we can get excited over a basketball game. And we can get excited over a football game or about a deer that we killed or a turkey that we killed or a sale that we found, uh, found or a, a, a business deal that we closed or some kind of thing that happened in our life. We can go real excited about all that. We, we can be embarrassed by how excited we got about that, but I'd be wondering a bit how, how embarrassing we are about not being excited about salvation that we've got. How embarrassed should we feel about not being excited about what God did to provide the salvation that we hold on to, that we say is important? 
Listen, there's nothing wrong with being excited about those things. Nothing wrong with being excited about deer or turkey or whatever it is or sales or whatever, uh, business deals, whatever. There's nothing wrong. It just can't be the only thing that we're excited about. A buddy of mine, uh, Cody, uh, is a pastor in Benton, and he's, uh, he, he tweeted out uh, last night, for all of you who just prayed for the Razorback game, I'll see you at church in the morning. And I was like, whoo, that's good, right? Because we get real excited. We're, God, we got to win this one. We got to go to Sweet 16. We got to do this. And then we get in church, and we sit, and we're so bored with our faith, and we're so bored with our salvation, and Isaiah tells us, with joy, we will draw water from the wells of salvation. And we've got to be reminded of that joy. We've got to be returning to that joy. Three verses. These three verses out of Isaiah are probably enough. We could probably read these like I have over the last week, 50, 60 times. And just go, okay, God, bring me back to that. Remind me of that. Let me trust in you because you are our salvation. Look how he ends the second half of this chapter. Verse one through three, he's telling us all the reasons why we should be joyful. But in four through six, he tells us what our response to that should be. Just read it together. In that day, you will say, Give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, make known among the nations what he has done and proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord for he has done glorious things. Let it be known to the world. Shout aloud and sing for joy, people of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel among you. Did you notice the recurring theme? The first half is bring yourself back to the beginning, to the source of your joy, the source of your salvation. And the second half is bring the whole world with you. Right? Let everybody else know. Make known among the nations what he has done. Proclaim his name is exalted. Sing, let it be known to the world. Shout aloud, sing for joy. This joy that we have, this salvation that we receive is not for us just to sit on. It's our responsibility to bring as many people as we can with us and make it known what he has done. Remember, I said there's nothing wrong with celebrating these things that happen in our life. We'd love to tell stories about that, right? We, we do. We tell stories, and I don't believe half of the stories y'all tell me, right? Jerry sits down, let me tell you about this deer. And I don't believe Jerry. You shouldn't either. Petey Woodard tells you a story, you can just throw it away, right? It's not true. We love to, because we embellish. Oh, let me tell you, I was out there and it was, it was negative 3,400 degrees outside and it was snowing like a monsoon blizzard in South Arkansas. This was last year. And then, uh, and we tell these crazy stories. It's okay. Tell those stories, but don't let those be the only stories that you tell. We have the greatest story ever told. And what's so fantastic about this is we don't have to tell it from some third person, like unengaged, uninvolved point of view. We can tell it from a personal standpoint. This is what God's done in my life. Man, how great of a story is that? Doesn't have to be dramatic. Some people have dramatic life change stories of God's faithfulness, right? We've, we've had the stories of the drug addicts who's turned their whole life around. We know stories. I know a story of a pastor friend of mine who led a young boy to Jesus who was laying in a hospital bed who had been run over by a boat. 
propeller had split his head open. They'd done all kinds of surgery. He'd been laying on the bed unconscious for weeks. And Bob walks in and holds his hand and starts to pray with him. And the boy starts squeezing Bob's hand. First time he's moved in weeks. And Bob said, can you hear me? And the boy squeezed his hand. He said, if you can hear me, squeeze my hand three times. He squeezed his hand three times. He hasn't moved in weeks. And Bob led him to Christ on the hospital bed when he was unconscious, squeezing his hand. When he woke up, he remembered every word of it. Those things are incredible. But most of us don't have stories like that. I grew up in a church family and a home that went to church every time we had service. We walked to church in Missouri, right? The church was two blocks from our house. We would walk down this little side street up an alley and we were in the back door of the church. We were there all the time. My mom led the choir. My dad was a deacon. I I grew up knowing all the right answers and all the wrong things. I got saved when I was six. I didn't have a drug history at six years old. I didn't have, I wasn't a klept, I wasn't stealing from Fred's. You know, I didn't have all that. We didn't even have a Fred's in Missouri. We had an IGA grocery store. I didn't steal from the grocery store. But I knew who Jesus was. I knew I needed to put my faith in him. I knew I didn't want to go to hell. I knew he died on a cross for me. That's all I knew. I got saved at six. I grew up, did, lived a normal life, teenage life, did what I did, went to church every week. And you know, I think that story resonates with more people than the drug addict stories or the boat victim stories. Because we don't live life like that. We don't always encounter people that live life like that. But most of us are just normal folks who have a very normal story to tell. And let me tell you something, that's just as powerful as any of those other more dramatic ones. Those ones that are dramatic, people are normally on stage telling and we've got all these droves of people who respond to that and it's incredible and God uses it and I'm not diminishing it at all, but God can use your story just as much as he can use theirs. Grew up in war my whole life. I knew right and wrong, I got saved, I did what I was supposed to do and I've continued to live my life faithfully for Jesus ever since. I've made mistakes, but I'm pushing toward what he wants from me. I've returned back. Man, that story's powerful and that's your story. That gets to be the story that you tell. Not from a, well, let me tell you about a friend of mine who, or somebody that I know. Let me tell you about what happened in my life. That's the, that's the stories that we get to tell. And those are the stories we should be telling. Because a return leads to action. And this verse up here, give thanks, call on his name, make known, proclaim, exalt, sing, let it be known, shout aloud, sing for joy. Those are all action words. This is why we come back. This is what we do in response to it. We tell the story of what God has done in our life. Here's my last thought and I'm done. What's so great about Isaiah 12 And some of you may know this. If you're a Bible scholar, then good for you. you. If you don't know this, it's okay. If you were an Old Testament Jew, you immediately knew this. There's major connective lines back from Isaiah 12 all the way back to a song that the Israelites used to sing. A song written and first sang by Moses. Exodus chapter 15 uh, is an incredible moment in the Exodus story. 
Up until this point, all the plagues have happened. And in Exodus chapter 14, just one chapter back, God parts the Red Sea. We all know this moment. We've seen Charlton Heston. We've seen the movie. We've, we've witnessed it, okay? The Red Sea parts, and the Israelites walk through, the Bible says, on dry ground, which means it didn't just move the water out of the way. It sucked all the water out of the ground and let it be dry and hard enough for them to cross. And when they got all the way across, chapter 15 starts, and Moses turns and says, I will sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted. The horse and its riders he has hurled into the sea. And then listen, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. That's word for word, Isaiah chapter 12. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. And what I love about this is in Moses' world, what God had just done, I mean, how it was inconceivable for him to think that people would not worship God. After everything that he's witnessed, after everything that he just experienced, the plagues and God delivering his people and parting the Red Sea and walking across on dry ground, Moses is going, how could anybody not worship God? He is our strength and our song. He is our salvation. And then we fast forward 700 years. The people of God have finally entered the kingdom that they were supposed to have, the promised land. They had lived there. They'd done a couple of good things and a lot of bad things. They'd lived through the judges. They'd even lived through the appointing of the king, Saul and David and David's descendants. The nation is split. People have continued to worship foreign gods and continue to do things they know they're not supposed to do. And Isaiah comes along and he's warning them and he's trying to bring them back. And it was just as inconceivable to Isaiah as it was for Moses that people would not worship God. I mean, how could you not? This is the God of our salvation. He is the one who's provided everything that we have. He is still God. All these years later, he's still the same God who parted the Red Sea. He's still worthy of our worship. He is still providing salvation for us. How could we not worship him? And the same God, church, who Moses called us to worship and who Isaiah called us to worship is the same God that we get to worship today. How could we not? How could we not be drawn back to joy about the salvation that we've received? How can we not be drawn back with thankfulness and thanksgiving to a God who's done everything that he's done to give us the life that we are able to have? How could we not worship him? He is our strength and our song. He is our salvation. So we end this morning very easily repeating Isaiah's call to praise. He starts it in verse four. He ends it in verse six. Give thanks to the Lord and call on his name for great is the Holy One in Israel. Would you stand with me? TJ's gonna come and sing a song and and we're just gonna have a moment of pause and reflection. This is an opportunity for you to return back to the joy of your salvation, to remind yourself of what it means and what God has done to provide that for you. And for some of us, we just need to say, God, I'm sorry for being lazy. 
I'm sorry for not caring and taking for granted what you've done. God, return me to the beginning. Help me trust you. Help me remember you. Help me to rely on you. You are all that I need. If you have questions about what it means to do that and how we can put our hope and our faith and our trust in God, I'd love to walk you through that. If you have questions about this church or anything that's going on here, this is your opportunity to deal with whatever God's working in you with. Don't miss an opportunity to return. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for the salvation that you have provided for us. And Father, we collectively repent of taking that for granted. We repent of our apathy and our lack of excitement and joy. We repent of not trusting you and trying to figure it out on our own. And God, we're sorry that oftentimes we've made a return and we stopped short. And we didn't go all the way. And we didn't give it everything that we had. We got enough of you. And that's all we wanted of you, God. Today, we say we can never get enough. Today, we say we are 100% completely yours. And so, Father, we are asking for you to return joy, to return us back to a place where we know that we know that we know that you are all we need, that you provide all that we could ever hope for, and that in your grace and your mercy, we will exist. God, thank you for this moment. If there's somebody here this morning that's struggling with something or maybe just needs to pray or needs to be prayed for, they have questions or maybe they just need to return back to you, God, let them do it in this moment. Help us not waste a chance. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You guys come as TJ sings.